0: Last week, Dr. Thomas H. Spence led us in prayer, and Dr. Spence had the distinction of having spent 44 Christmases in Montreat. Uh, I was trying to think uh, today about Billy Graham and uh, all of the people that he has reached around the world. Now, I found an old letter, a copy uh, of a letter that had been sent to Billy uh, when a birthday celebration was held in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, in 1978. Honoring his birthday, we have a mutual friend who is now in heaven, uh, Billy and I, and his name was Dr. John Bolton, a distinguished industrialist. And John was a great student of the Bible. And in the letter that he wrote, which was read publicly in Charlotte, and a part of which I share here, he referred, as he always did, to something in the Bible, and he referred back to Acts 18. And he admonished Billy through that letter Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. And then the last sentence reminded John of the words of Moses which he also passed on to uh, Joshua and to Billy Graham. As I was with Moses, Joshua said, I will be with you. And then he recalled how in uh, January 1956, he and Billy were in New York City And he remembered standing one evening and looking out over Manhattan with Billy and how Billy had said at that time when he was contemplating a great trip to the huge subcontinent of India and uh, going there to speak to many, many hundreds of thousands of people. This was way back in 1956 and Billy remembered these words as he was with me in England and Scotland and Europe and, uh, and America so he will be with me in Indian Asia. And John accompanied them on that trip, and they felt greatly the presence of God, and many were moved to come to faith in Christ. And then when I thought about Billy's uh, desire a year or so ago to slow down, it really wasn't much of a slowdown experience this year. He came through Montreat to pick up some new sermons and some uh, clothes on the way through, uh, but he spent the year... Uh, preaching in uh, Alaska, and then he preached for four or five months in in, uh, England to hundreds of thousands of people in face-to-face audiences, then went to Korea to speak to a million people face-to-face in one huge gathering, then came back to Russia uh, to preach in many parts of Russia, and then went to Vancouver in British Columbia to speak uh, there in a great crusade. So if you've slowed down, Billy, I don't want to be around when you speed up. We we are thankful for your ministry. There's no real words to say in introduction, but there is the responsibility that we have to thank you, and we want to thank you for speaking at this service.
1: Thank 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 you, Calvin. Someone approached me this week on the telephone. They didn't approach me officially. It was just a joke. Uh, But they're members of a church in Asheville that is looking for a pastor. And they said, would you be interested in uh, being a candidate? And I said, well, I said, uh, yes, I would be interested. I said, uh, would there be opposition? He said, well, there'd be some because a lot of people in our church think of you as a Presbyterian because you, you spend, uh, when you are here, you go to the Presbyterian Church in Montreal. Of course, I was reared a Presbyterian, but I was reared a special kind of Presbyterian, A.R.P., the Associate Reformed Presbyterians. Now, they're the only true Presbyterians. <laughs> <coughs> and all these other Presbyterian branches have come from them. At least that's what I thought when I was a boy. And we sang only psalms. And even at Christmas time, We did not sing the Christmas carols. We had to go outside and hear them on the street. Uh, Well, when I first started going to church, we didn't have radio even. Uh, The first station on the air, I can remember, was KDKA in Pittsburgh. And my father had rigged up one of those crystal sets, and you could had earphones, and uh, you'd hear some static, and uh. And my father would say, That's it, that's it. (laughs) And... uh, Then the first uh, station on the air in the South was WBT in Charlotte. That's the reason it's called the Pioneer Voice of the South. And that's just in my lifetime. We had no radio, no television. I tell my grandchildren no television and they think we came from the dark ages. And uh, so life has moved, the technology has moved so fast in our lifetime. And then there's a picture on the front of the Asheville Citizen this morning And when I was a boy, we were not allowed to look at the Sunday papers, but since I became a real Presbyterian Baptist, uh, we can look uh, at the papers on Sunday. And it has a picture of President Reagan and uh, Mrs. Thatcher, the Prime Minister of Britain, and they're uh, agreeing on Star Wars. And I thought how fast technology has moved all the way from that little crystal set to now talking about having a war out in space and then joining with the Soviets perhaps to send uh, a mission all the way to one of the outer planets. It's an unbelievable world in which we live and if man were good inside and uh, we could join hands together with peoples all over the world we could build a paradise in this universe on this earth but unfortunately man is not good inside. Man has a heart problem And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ came. Because that passage, uh, Peace on Earth and Goodwill Toward Men, is Peace on Earth, Goodwill Toward Men of Goodwill. And we do not have men and women of goodwill today. We have all kinds of clashing ideologies and clashing economic policies and clashing religions even. Many of the wars of the world today are being fought in the name of religion and we have a revival of certain religions in the world that are based partially at least upon their attitude toward war. And this is a very dangerous and critical time in the history of the world. And what a wonderful time to stop just this weekend and contemplate what took place two thousand years ago. And I want to read uh, another little passage uh, from uh, the second chapter of Luke, and it's uh, known throughout history as the Great Magnificent by Mary, in which Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to our fathers and to Abraham and to his seed forever. And I thought as we were singing Christmas carols a moment ago and we were singing Silent Night. Last Sunday, a week ago today, at the same time, we were in New York. And I said, let's go out to the, what some people think is the worst part of New York and go to church. We went to the Bronx, to a little tiny Baptist church in the Bronx. Now it looked like an atomic bomb had hit the Bronx. Windows are out everywhere, stores are boarded up, gangs fighting, an average of two or three murders a night just in the Bronx alone. And many people are raped, many assaults, many robberies are taking place. And we went to this little Baptist church (coughs) And uh, it had been a church that had been abandoned. They couldn't find a seminary student or an ordained pastor of any denomination to take this church that had formerly been a Dutch church in the center of this terrible uh, place. And so there was an old man who had worked for the telephone company for many years, and now he was retired. His wife had been a dental surgeon or a dental surgeon's assistant, on Madison Avenue and they had retired. He'd had a year of seminary back in the late 40s and he knew a great deal about the Bible. He memorized great portions of it while he was at work with the telephone company. He went around passing out tracts everywhere. And so he took this church. He's had it for 10 years. And it was filled on Sunday morning. Black people and Puerto Rican people, maybe about six or seven white people were (coughs) present And we sat there and listened to this man of God as he opened the Scriptures. And uh, he told a story that I asked him a little bit about it afterward. He went to a Presbyterian church in New York, a very fashionable church. You would know the name of the church and you would know probably the name of the minister. And he stood at the door after the service and he asked everybody that came out of the service, he said, can you quote a verse of Scripture? and he found a few that could quote parts of John 3.16 and a few that could remember the bits of the 23rd Psalm and uh, he found one lady that had been going to that church for 40 years that could not quote one verse of scripture so he went to the pastor and he said, pastor, he said, uh, you don't know me but he introduced himself he said, you've got a church full of dummies I said, did you know that? and the minister uh, Looked at him and he told his story, what he had done, and the minister started crying. He didn't get proud or angry or mad. He took it very humbly and submitted himself to what was being told him by an older brother in Christ. And to make a long story short, that minister a few months ago started preaching expository sermons just from the Bible. And suddenly the congregation began to light up. The attendance has gone up by about 20% since he began to preach straight from the Bible. And then he started a scripture memory course in the church and a nurture group in the church and all kinds of Bible study groups in the church. And the church has now changed and is taking on new life because one man who is a layman had the courage to go and talk to the minister and tell him, what was wrong because the minister told him I knew something was wrong in the church but I didn't know what it was and this minister believed in the Bible and believed in the things of the Lord but he was a topical preacher who preached on the agenda set by the New York Times rather than one of the network news programs rather than by the Word of God and so here we find a carol now there was a carol that we just sang a moment ago that uh, was written about 19 or 1815 or 18, somewhere in there. They, were in the, they had been in the middle of a, of a great war that had involved Austria, and this was in the Austrian mountains near Salzburg. And on this particular evening, the, it was Christmas Eve, and the organ had broken down, and the church was going to be filled with young people who were going to come and sing Christmas carols, but they didn't have an organ, and they didn't really have a good Christmas carol to sing. So the minister walked out under the stars that night before the service. His name was Joseph Moore. And he looked up at those stars as they were glistening and he thought about that first Christmas night when the shepherds heard the angels. And he wrote down on a scrap of paper those words that we have just sung. And he carried it back to the organist and the organist put a tune to it. And they sang for the first time what has become our most famous Of all Christmas carols, silent night, holy night. And a carol is a stanza that is set to music. It was often chanted. Or they would say it in unison because it says the angels said. It doesn't say they sang, though I don't quibble over that. I personally think they sang. I think something's wrong there. I'm sure they sang. But the scripture says that they said. But uh, if you say it in unison and chant it, uh, those of us that have had the opportunity of being in liturgical churches this past year, John Akers and I sat through a number of of, uh, services that lasted three hours, where you stand through the entire liturgy, uh, the liturgy of the Orthodox Church in the Soviet Union, one of the most beautiful liturgies in all the world and i had an english copy of the liturgy and i could follow along and if ever there was anything based upon scripture it's the liturgy of the orthodox church and then when they would finished the service they would bring two pulpits out in front of the chancel and one for the interpreter and one for me and that's first time as far as we know in history it's ever been done in the orthodox churches of the soviet union and in these great cathedrals a metropolitan and on the last day the patriarch who is the head or the pope of all the Orthodox Church presented me and to preach the gospel and on that day, that last day, I preached on you must be born again if you're to see the kingdom of God and those people listened and when it was asked that people lift their hands if they wanted to receive Christ into their hearts many would lift their hands and the patriarch got up afterward and he said this is what we need in our churches and he said we hope Mr. Graham will come back and preach these same kind of sermons to our people because we are hungry for this kind of message. And so it was a tremendous privilege to be in that country and to be in all of those countries in Europe and Asia this past year and preach the same gospel wherever we went. But these Christmas carols are are magnificent because they were Christmas carols sung before we began to write them and sing them. And uh, they were sung, and one of them was the one we've just read, Zechariah, the priest. His word, his, uh, who was the father of John the Baptist. And his name means God remembers, and his wife's name was Elizabeth. And her name means his oath. God remembers his oath. And God had made oaths and promised through the prophecies that someday Messiah was going to come. They thought he was going to come riding on a great chariot with great armies with him and going to sweep all the enemies of Israel away. But he came as a little child in the town of Bethlehem. And in this passage where Mary gives her carol, her Christmas carol, there are three or four things that I'd like for you to think about. First he says he hath showed strength with his arm. Now she's quoting from Isaiah the 53rd chapter and that chapter is the greatest description of the cross of Christ written 800 years before Christ that you can ever read. Where Christ died for our sins and by his stripes we are healed. And all those great passages that have to do with our personal relationship to God and our personal salvation because if we're ever to get to heaven if we're to ever have our sins forgiven we're going to have to come by the way of the cross and Isaiah 53rd is one of the greatest and she's quoting from that and she's also telling it seems to me her own need of salvation now I think that we in the Protestant church have made far too little of Mary because she said the whole of the generations to come will call me blessed and I've sometimes wondered should we refer to her as the Blessed Mary Uh, the Roman Catholic Church The Orthodox Church has made a great deal of Mary, too much of Mary for us. They worship her. She never meant, I do not believe, to be worshiped as a goddess. But she was Mary in need of a salvation just like we are. But she was the most favored of all women. And anyone reading these passages that can doubt the virgin birth, I do not understand. You may say that you doubt it yourself, but that doesn't change the Scripture. You cannot say the Scripture doesn't teach it. The Scripture teaches it. You may doubt it all you want, that's your privilege. But the Scripture teaches that that holy thing that was created in her womb did not come from Joseph. It came from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that hovered over her womb. And then it says... He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Now we're in need, as many people feel, of a world revolution. A revolution in our thinking. A revolution in our practicing. A revolution in our governments and the way we handle things in our world. If we don't have it, our world may blow up. I was told the other day that the world could blow up in eight minutes. We now have the technology to blow up all of civilization in eight minutes hardly any time to wake up a sleeping president, if he's sleeping, to make a decision about whether to r- respond or to wake up the leader of the Soviet Union or some other nation. I personally do not believe that the United States or the Soviet Union are ever going to exchange bombs unless there's an accident or unless, unless some small nation like South Africa, where they, at 10 years ago they had 25 bombs. We don't know how many they have today and many little countries like Israel and others that have the bomb if they get their backs to the wall what they might do with that bomb that would start a chain reaction or Iraq or some of those nations in the Middle East but Mary says he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts and this would indicate to me a moral revolution and if ever a country is in need of a moral revolution it's ours every time I watch the television or pick up the paper or read one of the magazines or go to a newsstand and see all that you have to see on a newsstand just to buy a newspaper all the pictures and the photographs of all the nudity I think of the need of a moral revolution or when I talk to people who come from cities and towns and villages they're filled with stories of all the immorality and all the tensions in the families and all the pressures that the families are feeling today and how a man will walk out on his wife or a wife will walk out on the husband suddenly and all of these things are coming even in the so-called Christian community and we need a moral revolution we need God the Holy Spirit to come in mighty power and bring a great spiritual awakening and moral awakening to our country and our world and then the second thing He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. This would indicate a social revolution. Sam uh, has just come from Nicaragua. It was my privilege a number of years ago to hold, well I've held two crusades in in Managua and Nicaragua. And the thousands of believers that were there and when he was there he saw many of these believers. And in the midst of all that is going on in Nicaragua you ought to pray for the believers because there are thousands and tens of thousands of them there that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and worship Him. But anyone traveling through Latin America or Central America now, or in those days even more in the days that I spent a lot of time in Latin America, you see the great gulf between the rich and the poor. For example, we were in Peru once, and I remember they told me about people who lived in Spain Or they lived in the United States or in Mexico and they owned these great haciendas of hundreds of thousands of acres. And the peasants that worked and got nothing, they couldn't even leave the hacienda. And uh, the people were absentee landlords. Well, anyone with any foresight could see that something was going to happen or it had to happen because it couldn't go on like that. And we need to pray for the believers though because there is a rising middle class in Latin America. Mexico is in trouble, Guatemala is in trouble, and um, many of those countries, some of them are getting settled down, like Argentina, where we hope to go uh, late this year for a crusade in their great football stadium that seats about 85,000. When we left there in our last crusade, there were 200 evangelical churches in Venice Aires. Today there are over 2,000 evangelical churches in Venice Aires. In Villamosa, in southern Mexico, where we held a crusade three years ago, we were there for a week and in their football stadium jammed and thousands on the outside. And A lot of times I'd, when I was finished preaching, buses were still coming because manana is the big word in Latin America. they come later. And uh, the service would be over when hundreds were still coming. And uh, they, Do you know how many Presbyterian churches came out of that one crusade? Nineteen new Presbyterian churches were formed out of that uh, crusade because that's presbyterian country and they went out and they wanted to get there before the baptists and that's one of the few times i think the presbyterians beat the baptists in organizing a church but anyone being in latin america knows that there needs to be a social revolution a change and that needs to take place in many parts of the world you cannot go on with situations like ethiopia and uh then to watch on television the expense that we're do- doing at Christmas time in which people are spending money for the most outlandish things, uh, thousands of dollars for things that are worth nothing just to have something new, to give a kick to somebody for a few hours and that's about it. And we have to think about that and we have to share it seems to me what God has given to us and the bounty and the plenty that he's given us in America we have to share with the rest of the world and that's a part of Christmas, it's giving not just exchanging gifts among ourselves but giving to people overseas or maybe next door or maybe giving even to a, by taking a dish of food to someone down in Black Mountain or in Asheville that doesn't have anything to eat. You know last week I watched in New York we were there a number of days and I watched as men would go up and down the streets and clean out the garbage cans and they would have a little basket and they'd put what little food they could find in the garbage cans. And I asked one of the officials of the city, I said, how many do you think are in New York City like that? He said, at least fifty thousand. Think of it, fifty thousand people in New York, one of the wealthiest cities in the world, having to dig into garbage cans to get their food. When we went to Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, we had a a, a night uh, called Food for the Hungry and we wanted to uh, bring food For the hungry people of Vancouver, because Vancouver is an interesting city, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world, but it's a city in deep trouble. It's a city of great unemployment, it's a city where only 2-3% to of the people go to church, and uh, so it was decided that we would have one night where the people would bring food in cans and so forth. To the meeting, we won the largest indoor stadium in the world. They're a new stadium where they hadn't tried the sound out much before we got there, and it took about four nights for anybody to hear what I was saying when I was preaching. But be that as it may, the people, the the stadium officials would not let us bring the food into the stadium. It was against their regulations and their laws. Well, that worked out in a good way because it made front page headlines in the papers that stadium officials refused to allow food to come that would help the hungry in Ethiopia or help the hungry in their city and so we had trucks set up on the outside and the people brought the food and we had enough food to feed all the hungry people of Vancouver for the next two weeks sixty-five thousand dollars worth of food were brought that one evening in food for the hungry just all that is 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 just a little example of what can be done it was just uh, one little thing that it was thought that we could do to show to people our responsibility as Christians to help those that have greater need than ourselves. So we would have some in Asheville. They're building a center in Asheville where they're going to do such as that. And uh, part of my small contribution this year is, has been to that center of where they're going to do that. And I think that's a wonderful thing to have in a city where people can come and call and get food and get help. And the Salvation Army and Many organizations that are doing that type of thing, we commend at Christmas. I saw those little Salvation Army people on the streets of New York, and this year it seemed that they had, I think my time is finished, is that right? (laughs) I could go on and on. But uh, every time I'd see a Salvation Army Lassie, and they had little boys this time, uh, and I don't know how they trained them, but boy, they had voices. Come and help the poor, help the poor and it looked like to me that people were putting in sometimes pennies but sometimes a dollar and then the last thing he hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty and this is the economic revolution that we need in our world which I've already covered the moral revolution the social revolution and the economic revolution and we need all of that now by revolution the word revolution means change it doesn't mean to get out and fight doesn't mean to get a gun it means to change change our own attitudes revolution inside that's what jesus said when he said you must be born again you must have a revolution inside you can't perform it on yourself the holy spirit can perform it in you and make you a new person and there are people here in this audience that may be coming from homes with a lot of tension and a lot of problems maybe you have an economic problem maybe you have a moral problem maybe you have a secret problem a secret sin a presumptuous sin that you're dealing with and wrestling with I had a man seventy-seven years of age come to me a man of God a great man of God and he said Billy he said I want to tell you something that I never dreamed would ever happen to me more than any other time of my life He said, my mind is filled and occupied with evil thoughts. And he said, I thought at my age I would never have such an attack. He said, it's an attack from the devil. And he said, I know it and I pray and I ask God to deliver me. He said, will you pray for me and with me? Of course I did. But Satan will attack all of us at our weakest point. And that's why we need to spend more time in prayer and study of the word and to make sure that Christ lives in our hearts at this Christmas season. I feel a little, I'm going this week to Urbana. We're gonna have 18,000 university students at the University of Illinois. And it'll be my privilege to be one of the speakers as I have been each year for many years. And they're gonna be coming from universities from all over America and all over the world. And we'll have a wonderful several days together. And many of these students will be coming to Christ for the first time and many will be answering the call to missionary service. But it would be a wonderful thing if you, today, could open your heart in a new way and spend Christmas next Tuesday as the most blessed, the most thrilling, and most wonderful Christmas you've ever spent. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that the Holy Spirit will come into our hearts in a new way and convict us of our sins and bring about this revolution inside of us called a new birth, born from above, the work of the Holy Spirit to change us and give us new attitudes and new dimensions in our lives, a new love and a new joy and a new peace. And may the peace of Christmas be in each of our individual hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.